Hey, it's Open Threads. It is my podcast. I'm Brian Castle. Welcome to it. Back on the show today is Justin Jackson. We're kind of making the rounds here, bringing the previous guests back around on Open Threads to talk about other stuff. Hey, here's my real-time-ish update for you, and I'm recording this one on May 6th, 2024. First, I just want to say that once and for all, the name of this podcast, I'm sticking with the name Open Threads. <laughs> you may have noticed I had briefly renamed it there uh, in early 2024. I was using the name Full Stack Founder. Well, long story short, I'm sunsetting that brand name and that website. It was a short-lived project that just didn't quite stick. So this podcast is back to its original name, Open Threads, from here on out. Okay, so uh, my... So as for my update, uh, you know, my main focus now continues to be instrumental products. That is my product studio where I partner with clients, mainly on UI and UX work. And uh, I specialize in designing modern interfaces for SaaS companies. And I deliver my designs in the form of coded HTML and Tailwind CSS templates and components. So that's the uh, the main um, service that I've been working with a couple of clients lately on, and uh, it's something that I continue to uh, to really double down on the rest of this year. Other than that, I'm spending the rest of my time building out some new software products of my own to uh, to add to my small portfolio. My main SaaS product, Clarity Flow, continues to run smoothly uh, with my small team, and we're always working on some imp improvements there. So that's my update for now. On to the show. You know, this is one of those episodes where Justin and I just could keep talking for days. We were geeking out on music, bands, artists, our experience with music when we were younger, our experience with music today as adults, even the business of being in a band. And I talked a bit about my experience of, of being in bands when I was younger. Uh, we talked about music documentaries, just really geeking out on all of it. It was, it was a lot of fun. And as you can hear, uh, we just wanted to keep talking about it. So maybe we'll, we'll keep it going on, on another episode. But for now, let's geek out on music with Justin. Let's just kind of uh, roll into the next one. We're going to talk about music. It's so It's so related. Yeah. All right, so you know this this one doesn't have to be as, as as long here, but any excuse to just talk about music in general, I'm I'm up for. So, you know one of the, one of the things that I loved about I guess it wasn't on Build Your SaaS, but one of your previous ones, maybe uh, Mega Maker, is like you you know you're sharing some like some metal yeah in in, in the intro of, of your uh, of your podcast. So I know you're into some hard stuff. Like, what do you? Where should we begin here? I mean, that came later in high school. I was because on Twitter we were talking about you know, music documentaries. Yeah, I know we're going to get into that, but I'm just curious. Like in general, like I hate the question of like, well, what kind of music are you into? Because yeah, I'm sure everyone is into like five or six different genres. But like, what, what would you say is like the the headlines of the music that you listen to? So I just started buying vinyl, and so I think Ooh. what are the last five records I bought? I bought Tom Petty, the Wildflowers album. Ill Communication Wait. by the Beastie Boys, Black Sabbath, Sabotage, Paul Simon, and... It's quite a mix already. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty... I, I mean, it's kind of all over now. I, in high school, I was really into punk rock. 
that was like most of what I listened to. And then right at the end of my high school experience was when electronica kind of started becoming popular. I can't listen to most of that shit now, but you know, I still can put on some of those albums like Daft Punk. I could still listen to some of that. Uh, I got really into the rave scene in 97, 98, 99. It's interesting. I I did a whole punk phase when I was younger and hard stuff, a lot of grunge and some hip hop too. And then I, I was one of these people who totally slept on electronic in general like i it was i was just completely turned off by it when i was younger yeah and i only recently got more into it as an adult because it's like awesome work to work to yeah i'm building software like i love throwing on today when i'm in the office working i just can't work to any if there's lyrics i I can't i'm the same way so i'm the same way but i do listen all day long to like instrumental music so like these days today it's weird like i'm into like electronic and like lo-fi and and like film scores and like yeah. original like soundtracks to, to like the shows that I watch. Yeah. And then I like when I'm driving or whatever, it's like I'm basically listening to everything I was listening to when I was like 18, 19 years old. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's cool. I think it's actually cool. Like the, the music I listen to when I'm working is kind of garbage. It's just like SoundCloud mixes and anything that's kind of brainless. I'm the same way. I can't listen to like any sort of rock and roll, punk rock, metal, anything with lyrics, yeah, it doesn't work. But that's what's been so fun about buying albums again is now in the morning when my kids wake up, I put on a record. And then when I get home after dinner, I put on a record. So we're getting back into listening to albums and it really makes you realize. It's interesting. Like, what? Yeah. Like, so you you just throw on music like in the house when you're hanging out. Yeah, it works now because the kids are older. This teenage phase is so fun if you are into music. It's just so mm-hmm. fun because they can listen to, you know, they can listen to anything now. And I guess it depends on how you feel about like language in your house. But we're pretty liberal with with language. Dude, and, we, and my my six and eight year old here like. You know, all of it in the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so it, you know, my kids are sharing music with me. You know, I j- just bought a Nas record and an MF Doom record, a couple of MF Doom records because my kids are super into it and I'm mm. digging it too. But then I can share my music with them. And, you know, like I've listened to, I mean, my daughter and I have listened to the Graceland album together probably 20 times we've probably listened to Mm. most tom petty records multiple times like it's so fun to be able to share music with your kids and totally we don't really share i mean we play a lot of music at home like i play guitar my and my daughter is picking up guitar and piano and, Mm -hmm. and we we play at home which has been really fun but we don't really like listen Oh, I didn't either. When we're in the house, we we do all of our listening in the car, like, and we do a lot of road trips and stuff. So that that's when we're getting all the music. Yeah, I was always wondering, like, how do people listen to music in their house? Like, when the kids are young, it's almost never works, you know. Mm-hmm. But now at this stage, it there's just way more opportunities to put on a record, or we have a little Sonos player out on our deck, and then car rides. And car rides are this amazing gift when you have teenagers, especially like driving one kid at a time to wherever 
and they put on music mm-hmm. and then you can talk and listen to whatever, you know, they've been in discovering on, on Spotify or whatever. Yeah. It's pretty fun. It's great. And and like now, like I get my, my daughter, like she's like, you know, humming along with the lyrics to like Metallica and like 311. And, yeah. You know, Red Hot Chili Peppers and stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, how is this happening? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's amazing. It, it, <laughs> it's pretty fun. And, you know, the there's a mix, you know, of old stuff and new stuff and and it's so accessible now. You know, you can put on a playlist and go, okay, this you can just throw on anything. Yeah. Well, and to, for them to experience like you know, like a grunge playlist and go, okay, you, you don't understand this, but when this album came out in 91, I was 11 years old and that was like this was the first album that yeah. I bought it was Nevermind. And, you know, this is this was just a huge. Yeah, that was one of the first for me to cultural thing. I think Come As You Are was the very first riff I ever learned how to play on guitar. Yeah. And it was like it was like unbelievable, you know, and then I learned like every other song and all the Green Day songs. And yes. All of it. Like, yeah, my guitar playing has never kind of progressed since then. And, and I, I'm the same way, too. I, like we'll be, we'll be like driving around and like I I'm like a driving like behind the music, you know, when mm-hmm. oh man, when Green Day Dookie dropped, it was like such a cultural phenomenon. And like, yeah, they're like, yeah, whatever, you know. That's, yeah, that's like boring, that's like my the classic line that my family makes fun of me for is <laughs> on a Friday night. We often watch a movie and I'll be like, hey, who wants to watch a music documentary? And everyone's like, yeah. rolls their eyes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, All right. So so how about some like top docs here? I mean, I, I love them too. Oh, man. Uh, what, what comes to mind? I just watched one that's tangentially uh, related to music called The Individualist. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. Ricky Powell. It's his story. It's just – so he toured with the Beastie Boys as kind of their like – official photographer, videographer, and groupie. And mm-hmm. the whole movie is just so New York, uh, which I really love. You realize how many of, like, New York at that time, because he has so many photos of just, like, he's got photos of Will Smith. He's got photos of all the Beastie Boys. He's got photos of, you know, all these... and. and you, you think like everybody was kind of around at that time in this cultural mix. I see it. Yeah. It's on Showtime. Yeah. It's on Showtime. Yeah. So I highly recommend that one. I, and I actually watched that one with my kids. Like I watched it myself and then I watched it with my kids and they really liked it too. The story is just really compelling. I always sort of wonder about music docs, like what makes them good? There's probably a few answers to this, but is it the movie is just really well made or is it like i'm really into this band so i'm gonna like it no matter what i think it's the story i really like it might get loud not because i it's not a very good film in the sense that they're trying to weave together jack white jimmy page and the edge together and to me that i don't like it because of that that's true i remember seeing that i was like i i know that that rings a bell and i remember seeing it and i don't it doesn't it's not one of those memorable Doc. Yeah, but I like the music from all those guys. I you know? I like that particular documentary just because of Jack White. He's just such a monster mm-hmm. in that that movie. Yeah. And it, if they just made it about him, it would have actually worked better. And his story is just so fascinating, and he's just such a strong personality that he makes that whole 
documentary w- worth watching for me. I yeah. I really liked the uh, the Descendants documentary called Filmage, and I wasn't even super into that band, but the story is just amazing. <laughs> just like how did yeah. these guys find each other, and then everything they had to do to survive, and that roller coaster is so interesting to me the, like just just like following bands in general aside from the music itself it's like to me it's like some of the best startup business stories in the world you know because like they're just hit it massive right like so for me like two documentaries come to mind one is metallica's some kind of monster yeah yeah i've actually only caught that one in passing I, i've got to give that a good watch oh dude that one is like they they get so like it gets really dark for them. Like they, the band breaks up like during the making of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I love then, stuff like that. And then, you know, and then there's like rehab, but what's amazing about that one is like Metallica, even still to this day with their YouTube channel, like they are as huge worldwide known as they are. Yeah. They are really open. They let the cameras in yeah. to the rehearsal rooms, to the sessions where they are arguing with each other, like all this different shit. Yeah. You know? And it's, it was pretty, pretty fascinating they had like a therapist for the band like working with them this is exactly the kind of documentary i like i got to give this one another look because i think i only watched like in pieces yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna check that out they basically hired they hired like a like a therapist to to be to (laughs) do like group therapy on them um how metal is that uh (laughs) exactly right like these guys are like the the biggest metal act in the world and they're like in a room like crying together it's it's unbelievable um (laughs) The other one, and I don't know if this one is because like I'm like a lifelong super fan, but Fish, Bittersweet Motel. Oh, I haven't heard you know, of this one. Um, yeah, it, the thing with with Fish, like you, you either like have never heard their music, or their music is just too weird, or you're like obsessed, and, I, and I'm in the obsessed. Camp, yes, right? yeah. They're, and they're really like a musician's band to really get into, and, and all that. So. I've been super into them and they had this documentary that came out like, I don't know, probably like late nineties. And, and I thought that it really, it's called bittersweet motel, but it, it really captured, they are a phenomenon. Yeah. Like in terms of a, like literally like a startup story and a business story, like the, the business of fish is insane yeah. compared to like every other band that you've ever heard of. I mean, like, again, like when you think of the name fish or, or the, or the band fish, like, Maybe you've heard some of their music in passing and you think they're this like niche act. Yeah. But they sell out Madison Square Garden four nights in a row on New Year's Eve for the last yeah. 30 years. Like they're huge, you know, and and they have this huge following. They, they do arena tours all over the world, but they're like unknown. They're like not played on the radio. They're not on yeah. television much. Like I love stuff um, like that. It's just a, yeah, it's it's crazy. You know? are, are they interesting as people? Yeah. I think so. I mean, especially like the the creativity. And, so like they're really known for their improvising. Like, like they get on stage and every night is completely different from the next. And they go into these like long like jam sessions and all that. But so they have this like communication language that happens on stage through music, which is pretty incredible. But then like the composition and the, and the playing is just like out of this world. Just just amazing yeah i found that the, the, sometimes uh, the challenge yeah. with making like a documentary or even an interview is some 
bands that I really like and that I, I want them to be super interesting are just not that interesting. Like Green Day is one of my favorite yeah. bands of all time. I've loved almost every album they've put out. But Billy Joe and <laughs> the rest of the band, they're just every interview I've seen with them. I've just been like, these guys are actually not that interesting. I don't know if they're. I felt the same. I I, I I think they're they're one of those bands who actually doesn't share a whole lot, right? Like yeah, they, you'll see like clips of them hit some some behind the scenes stuff here and there, but they're not like. Again, like back to Metallica, like even today, these guys are old now, right? Like they're, yeah. they're I think pushing sixty at this point. Right? Yeah, yeah. They throw up on YouTube, like rehearsal room stuff, <laughs> like from like this year. Like you know, they're like fat and like out of shape and like. And they're just like putting it all out there on YouTube. Like they don't care. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, and I think that's what makes someone like Dave Grohl so compelling. Uh, I'm actually not a huge Foo Fighters fan, but I just love seeing Dave Grohl show up in documentaries. And he's so interesting. That's a great, that's a great one. Oh, he's so. You've seen. uh, Sorry, go ahead. Sound City. I haven't seen. I haven't seen Sound City yet. So I should watch it because. He's pretty compelling as a person, but he shows up in so many documentaries. Yeah, and and the Foo, Foo Fighters had a good one called Back and Forth a few years back. Okay. Was that the name of that record? Was it called Back and Forth? I know that they have a, their own documentary, but... Yeah, that was good. And man, like Taylor Hawkins, like losing him, and, and, you, and you really see his talent in that yeah. uh, documentary for sure. You know? They're a band, like, like I, I am really into them, I saw them live a few years back. I saw them at Madison Square Garden in New York City, and like he opens the show, he's like, "Just so you know, we play until we puke." <laughs> and, they, and they played like they played over three hours straight, like no intermission. Like it was it was craziness. Yeah. But like, I wonder what happens to them now. With, <laughs> yeah. With, like, yeah. I mean, they've always been good at sharing clips and stuff too. And and what I dig about him is he's just. He's obviously just a player, meaning he's a good player. Like he shows up in all these documentaries because he's always been a fan. And it could be like some like tiny documentary about the Washington, D.C. punk scene. And there's Dave Grohl talking about that. He's in the Lemmy documentary. (laughs) I was like, why is he here? And he's like playing drums for Lemmy. And it's what? How did this happen? Like He gets into some random stuff. What are you doing here? I love how he was the... um... You know, he was the drummer on Tenacious D yeah. on, on that <laughs> album. So you can tell he just like loves music. Incredible. And I, yeah. I I think that that's what I look for in a music documentary is like, I want a good, that Kanye documentary is actually really good on Netflix. I don't think I saw that. I'm not into, I'm not, again, really into his music, but my son and I have been watching it. And it's just this, what's fascinating is there was this, this guy in Chicago that met Kanye and was like, this guy's going to be a star. Like before anybody knew it, before, when he was just producing beats. And he's like, I'm going to start making a documentary about him now. So he has all of this mm-hmm. crazy footage of early Chicago days. And then Kanye moves to New York. And then this guy's like, I got to follow him. And he's not making any money. He's just like following him with the camera. Yeah. And you get all of this access. And seeing those moments... Again, it's, it kind of applies to startup life, but seeing what he had to push through in order to become a star is so fascinating. These yeah. people are just so many. And I, I love documentaries that involve New York. 
And just to see all of the, it's like this host of characters every decade. There's this host of characters that all were attracted to that city and they're all in the mix together and they're all kind of competing with each other, but also supporting each other and they're all trying to make it. It's so yeah. fascinating. And just the other day I was, I was listening to um, John Legend. He was a guest on Smartless. Okay. Yeah. The podcast with, uh, Will Arnett and Jason Bateman and all that great episode. And he, and he mentions like it, he was talking about his story of how he was discovered in the music industry, right? Yeah. He had a friend and this was in the, I guess it was in the nineties sometime, two thousands. He's like, yeah, I, I had a friend. He had this cousin named Kanye and he was just like some guy who was like doing some like music stuff. He was kind of like hanging out. Like he was, he was a nobody at that point. Yeah. And he sort of like befriended Kanye and then Kanye got big and sort of like, you know, brought John Legend along, along with him, like into the show, you know? And, yeah. And like, that's how it happens. You know? Well, and, and I think to see, it often reminds me, you know, in the things that we're doing in our everyday life, seeing so much of what we do is putting yourself out there, pushing something forward, even when it's uncomfortable and even though you might get shot down. And he does that in a, a whole other level. Like he's going to like record studios and recording studios, sorry, and record companies. And he's like going into random people's offices and playing his CD and just kind of sitting there awkwardly while the secretary yeah. listens to his CD and the secretary is <laughs> kind of like doesn't care. And you can see he's just kind of, you know, it affects him emotionally. He's kind of down and he like picks up the CD and then he like goes to the next room just trying yeah. to make something happen. And that relentlessness, that willingness to put yourself out there. It's brutal, man. Hey, real quick. This podcast is sponsored by Instrumental Products. That's my product studio where I and my small crew, we take new product ideas from concept to launched. I'm a full stack product designer and developer, and I love collaborating with fellow founders, creators, and SaaS companies to bring that spark of energy into new product ideas. Think of Instrumental Products as your shortcut to shipping that next idea and getting it into the hands of your customers as efficiently as possible. Got something to ship? Let's talk. Visit instrumentalproducts.com to learn more. I, I don't know if you've ever played, have you ever played music, like instrument in, any, in bands or anything like that? I play guitar, but not well. And I've never been in a band. And I've, I have been a rave DJ, but... The, yeah, there you go. But I've never like, so I've played like maybe three shows as a DJ. I was in a few bands around high school and then college and a little bit of after college. And the one, there was really two, but one, we were really trying to make like a serious push to, to make it as a band. We, so this was in my college years. We were like heavily influenced by like Rage Against the Machine and 311 oh, yeah. and Chili Peppers. And like, so kind of like a rock, hip hop, like hard rock kind of mix. Yeah. Rage is one of my um, all time favorite bands as well. Dude. Oh yeah. Me too. I just saw them at the garden. Well, I, I, I've had my COVID tickets for, I think we're going to, the show's finally happening in 2023. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we had, we had the tickets in 2020 and, and then it just happened and Zach De La Roca was injured. Oh, wow. And so he, he did the whole show sitting down. Oh, wow. It was crazy. And it was like, Madison Square Garden was shaking the whole time. I mean, it like, if you weren't watching the stage, 
him sitting down made no impact on the energy level. It was incredible. Oh man, I can't wait. But you were trying to do something similar. So, dude, I mean, talk about marketing. Yeah. A startup and, and like getting getting comfortable with rejection and getting comfortable with just failing over and over and over again. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it's like to try to be in a band today in 2022, but I can tell you in around 2002, 2003, we played, so we were in um, Indiana at first and then and then Chicago for a couple of years. Yeah. We played to so many rooms where it was basically just our girlfriends and the bartender yeah. in the room. And we're playing this like hard rock music, right? Like, yeah. Occasionally, we'll be at like a party, and there's and people just want us to play covers, but we want to play our original music, or like, yeah. You know, we spend all this money to get a CD produced, and then we have to like go out on the street and like try to hand it out to people who don't want our stupid CD, you know? And like, I mean, it was just, and then like it's, it's a creative thing. We're, we're putting all this energy into into creating what we think is awesome music. Yeah. Um, we have a ton of fun playing it, but then. We got to haul all, all of our shit, like tear down the, the, the amps, the, the drum sets, put it all into the truck, bring it out to the city and get into the club. Now tear it all back down after playing a show to like no one. Yeah. And just doing that over and over again. Occasionally you get like a big, a big show where it's like you get some exposure, but like we never had it like click for us where it was like, and it, you know, like obviously it never happened. For, yeah. For us, right? So it was like, what, what kept you going when you were like, if so you played to three people, what was it just like, we've got to keep doing this because something could happen? Is that what made you keep going? Part of it was fun just to play, but part of it was we got lucky enough just to book a gig. Yeah. Like that in itself is hard too, you know, just to get club owners to say like, sure, we'll give you like a Monday night. Yeah. Like, fine. You know, um, no, yeah. But, but it was like the hope was like, maybe we can book enough of these that eventually we can start to reach some people who really dig this kind of music. Yeah. That was the, that was basically the hope. I think, I think it's so instructive to like hear those stories. So often you'll see someone who's made it, whether it's in the software industry where we are or in the music industry and to hear like how, you know, some people just get a lucky and break I, right away, but yeah. you know, like the Beastie Boys story is basically they're in New York. So there's an important lesson there. So much came out of New York because it's just it's cultivating all of these different you know trends, all of this different stuff, and you know you have all these people kind of in the same space at the same time, and you know they're able to catch a break and all of a sudden become that band, right? But then there's other stories like I think it's Eminem that you know he had always sent people his his mixtape or whatever, and. Mm -hmm. Dre had it and like maybe it was like underneath a big pile of stuff and then one day he like listened to it or something yeah. and you just think just wow like just of course all of those things can add up you know all of these these efforts can add up and often the breakthroughs whether it's in the software industry or the music industry or whatever you're doing is the culmination of a bunch of effort and a bunch of just little bets and little, you know, pushing things forward. And it's also a reminder that it just, there's no guarantees. Like you can push and push and push and, and it, it might not happen for you either. You know, I think if, if, if I can try to 
pull some thread from the years of trying to make it in a, in a band to today. I think there's two things. Like one thread is that like me and my, yeah, like, like two of my bandmates, we were, we were all like songwriters, yeah. right? Like I was really into crafting songs that I just thought were great, yeah. right? So, so there's this creative, it's not just about playing on stage. I was actually much more into the, the time in the studio or the time in the bedroom and, and just getting songs down yeah. right? and, and, and coming up with really, truly original takes yeah. on things. So, so there's that that I still take to today where it's like, just make it good. Like, just care about the quality, care about the integrity of the thing. Like, yeah. I'm not trying to rip off someone else's song. Yeah. I'm not trying to rip off someone else's sass. You know, yeah. like, I'm trying to create something original here. You can go too far with that in software and, like, you, you still need to solve the problem, right? Yeah. I think that's the other thing is that, you know, playing to those empty rooms. And it, really what we're trying to do is, like, time after time, we're, we're essentially, we're just trying to get lucky. Yeah. We're trying to get get some sort of lucky break where we get some new level of exposure. And I think that's the thing that I, that I avoid now as a business owner, right? Like, yeah. and, and that's why like, I personally avoid like consumer products. Like, you know, yeah. like for me, like I would, I, I just never, I'm not going to get into like creating games or creating a clothing line or something like that, because it's like, it's so based on taste and then, and then luck yeah. and exposure. I sell to businesses so that I can find a problem and I solve it. Yeah. And, and you know, there's demand. And so like there, there, that's like the yin and yang of, of, I think how I tie it back to. Yeah, totally. And, and I, I mean, there, there's also like the music plus tech thing, like the creative plus the engineering side, but yeah. 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 And I think the other, the other lesson is probably th these things that you start cultivating early in your life. So the more things you're trying, the more, the more that's kind of in motion. So your dream may have been to, to be in a band, but that whole line of experience, that whole thread of experience eventually does connect with building software. And all of those things you learned, all of those layers you put down, it actually does matter. It becomes part of your unfair advantage with whatever you're doing, you know, once you yeah. find the thing that's, kind of going you know and i i do think that there's a sales lesson in there too you know i mean i was listening to another smart list episode with um who's the big movie star uh the guy and he's like in the transformers movie now what's his name LaBeouf? <sighs> or jurassic park no no the guy from uh jurassic park actually chris pratt yes chris pratt he he was talking about he was on smart list a few months ago talking about he was doing like door-to-door -door sales like he he was I don't, I don't know what they were selling, but like he did that for a bunch of years and he actually got really good at it. Yeah. And so then he was talking about like, you know, all, all my Hollywood actor friends who are trying to make it and they, they can't deal with the constant rejection of, of like audition after audition. Yeah. He was like, it was so easy for me because I had done door to door sales all those years, you know, like, totally. I think there's part of it. Like, like, I don't know if it's the same for, for me, but like having going, gone through the, you know, playing in a band to like empty rooms like that. It's like you you start to deal with like, all right, well, this, tonight was nothing. Like we just got to go back and do it again tomorrow. Yeah. Like it's, I think there's, you know, it does start to harden you a little bit when you get into business. Yeah. And I think also to, once you've played to a good room, you know what that feels like. And then when, yeah. you know, for Derek Sivers, his story was similar, right? He was wanting to be a musician. He was putting everything behind being a musician and then he did this thing on the side called CD Baby. 
And the way he describes it is like he was playing, you know, like really pushing the music, but playing to rooms that were just kind of half full. And then he launched this thing called CD Baby. And it felt to him like playing to a packed room that was really into his music. The feeling was the same. And I think until you've done something and you know like what that feels like to to put on a show and have nobody show up, because I've been there too, and also to put on a show and then everything falls in place and people buy tickets and show up and that you get that full room feeling. Once you've felt that, it kind of helps you to seek out that yeah it, it also helps you to not settle you know like okay i'm not going to play yeah, yeah. empty rooms the rest of my life i got to find something that really yeah. kind of i got to do something that fills the room you know and you, you can kind of diagnose it like we did a rave one year and we made thousands of dollars and it was like amazing and then through electronica we got into hip hop and then the next year we did a hip hop show and it just did not work. <laughs> we lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And and in our minds, like, the hip-hop show was, like, we had so much good talent and, like, really good MCs. And we had this, like, big breakdance battle and, like, all this stuff that was, like, incredible. But it just didn't resonate with people that would have bought tickets, you know? And yep, yep. once you've experienced that... Crazy. You kind of it helps you to seek out the stuff that fills the room. Yeah, yeah. We had some moments where it was like we had a, a good show here, and then that like keeps us going for like another six months. Yeah. Right? And I, I do wonder like how it would even happen today in 2022. And and I think that knowing what I know now, like like I would probably be more creative in terms of like cr- launching our own events using online, using streaming, whatever it else. I think there's also a, a mythology in music that was detrimental to people on the outside. Because the mythology was, oh, these were just amazing musicians that got discovered and then everybody wanted to see them. But the more you dig into the actual stories on YouTube, there's the history of Iron Maiden, part one, part two, whatever. But part one is one of my favorite music documentaries of all time because you realize right away this manager gets involved with Iron Maiden and he comes up with Eddie the Head and all of this like branding, which yeah. he says in the beginning, it was like kids were just coming to Iron Maiden shows to see Eddie the Head and to buy those T-shirts with Eddie on them that are so famous now, right? And that was a yeah. branding decision. And in your mind, you're like, well, totally. Maiden's amazing. They're like incredible musicians. They've been around forever. They, But you start to learn, you know, a lot of that mythology is just not true. And a lot of the mythology about, you know, like bands not being in it for the money and all that stuff, just not true. And once you actually hear about what was going on at the time and, you know, what actually made the difference in those early years, I think it's encouraging to me because it's like, okay, well, branding matters. Marketing matters. Having a t-shirt that you can, and a mascot that you can put on, you know, all sorts of merchandise and on every poster and have people recognize that brand, that actually really helps. And in whatever we're doing now, it's got to be the same thing. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we got to wrap this up in a minute, but the one, one kind of random thought, maybe this gets back to like the idea of like, sometimes good is just good. Like sometimes it, it is, 
not that like if it's good it will become popular yeah but sometimes it's like man this thing is just so good it can't help but get popular and like so i i was really thinking about this at the raise against the machine show i was at yeah. a couple weeks ago again all of madison square garden these are like lifelong people who just constantly play rage all their life right? yeah and if you know Rage Against the Machine, like they are a political activist band. Yeah. They literally formed and they, they exist for the purpose of getting a, a, a political activist message out there, right? Yeah. Um, and so about halfway through their set, you know, they're playing, I don't know, Bomb Track or, or Bullet in the Head or one of these. And like they go into like the, the section where it's just like the bass line, like, like do, 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 you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And over this, Zach De La Roca goes into like a political speech sort of thing for about five or six minutes, right? Yeah. And, you know, talking about like anti-war and, you know, capitalism and, and they're, they're the themes that they tend to touch on, right? Yeah. And I just noticed that the energy in the, in the room really died down and he's sort of just like saying these words, getting his message out. And I, I just, ha there's a few people in the crowd you could see with like some flags and signs who, who are probably politically active, but like 99% of the people in there just fucking love this rock music yeah. and they just want to nod their head to it. Yeah, you know? totally. Um, and like, they kind of don't care so much for the, it, not that they don't or do agree with what he's saying. It's just like, they're not here for that. They're here to hear like killing in the name. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. And, and just get the energy out, you know? Like, and it, it's almost like, it, it just made me think like, you know, rage just kind of got too big for what they intended it to be. Their music, their, their rock songs were just too simple and too good. And they reached so many people that like it went way beyond a political act activist yeah. movement sort of thing. Yeah. It, it was just like an interesting moment where I was just like looking at all these people in Madison Square Garden. I was like, really? Nobody cares about what he's saying. Yeah. They kind of just want to get back to the rock music. Dude, you know? I mean, I wish we could talk more <laughs> about that because I think... I think a lot about fame on one hand and success on the other hand, I guess. And so many people see fame as a way to get to success. And I think musicians are such a great example of this. There's this Fat Mike interview from, he's from No Effects. And I quote it all the time, but he's like, you know, in the 90s when punk rock was blowing up, no effects, he said. We kept having the same shows, same venues, same amount of people, all that stuff. And he said some bands blew up, like Offspring blew up, and then they could never get that cat back in the bag. And it was depressing for them. You know, for a long time, Offspring was playing, like they, they were playing casinos because the music wasn't trendy anymore. But Fat Mike is like, no effects shows? We've been playing to the same size crowds our whole life it's just enough for us to make yeah. a living. And what more could you ask for? We're not mega famous, but that means that, you know, when the second album comes out and no one digs it, it doesn't matter for us because we've got fans that are just going to dig this no matter what. And yeah. I think that there's so many lessons for, especially now place to be. with Twitter and, <laughs> you know, there's some people that think they need to be Twitter famous in order to start a business or whatever. And fame really scares me. I think fame is, you do not want fame if you can avoid it. If you can be, you know, a line drive success and, you know, fill a room with 100 people and play to those 100 people in multiple cities around the globe, you've made it. That's perfect, mm -hmm. you know? And this desire to get 
you know, insanely popular or get insanely big, even with my business, like I'm happy for the podcast industry to grow 10, 15% a year. And the people that are like driving it, they want it to grow a thousand percent every year. I'm like, that's going to destroy everything we like about this category in this industry and what yeah. makes it great. And there's no better examples of this than music. Like there's just some bands that just continue to play, continue to be, you know, great. And there's different levels of this, obviously, but you know, fish is a good example. Yeah. I think Iron Maiden's a good example. Iron Maiden is another one kind of like fish that that's like, has this like, it seems quote unquote like niche following, yeah. but they're huge. Yeah. Right? They're, but like they're either, either you love them or, or you're not that into yeah. them. Yeah. Another huge one for me is, is 311. Yeah. I've been a lifelong 311 fan. And, and they're one of these bands who's, they sort of just like stick to their formula. They play small theaters. You know, they, they haven't grown larger than that. They've had like, I don't know, 15 albums mm -hmm. and just solid music for, for their fan base. They're not going to get much bigger than that. And it's great. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. what more could you want, you know, to have enough customers or enough fans that are with you for life as opposed to they heard a, a catchy song on the radio and now they're like, what, whatever, that music's lame now, you know? Mm. Yeah. So I, yeah. I could talk about this forever, but yeah, this is great. Dude, we, we gotta, we gotta loop back on another, we'll, we'll do another session in, in a couple months. Yeah. Uh, have you back. I'm sure we'll find plenty of other stuff to ramble about. Yeah. But if <laughs> anyone's listening and they, they want to uh, reminisce about snowboarding or, They've got good music documentaries. Definitely reach out to me on Twitter. I love I love this stuff. Yeah, man. All right. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, thanks. That does it for today's episode of Open Threads. What'd you think? Let me know on Twitter or X. I'm at CastJam. And you can find the full videos for all episodes of Open Threads on the YouTube channel for this podcast. That's youtube.com slash open threads. One more thing, I'd really appreciate if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on iTunes. That helps a lot. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the next one.